All right, yep. and we're rolling. Here we go. I'm I am. I'm so excited, <laughs> and I am so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, no worries. It's it's funny because I feel like I almost end up just as, if not more, nervous than all of the people that join, just because, like, for all of these chats, and I'm sure a lot of the other hosts understand this kind of feeling too. It's like for each of these chats each person that joins is like trusting me to like lead a conversation that they're going to enjoy and that also other people will enjoy. So nervousness is just comes with talking <laughs> with people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I love doing this sort of stuff where it's just like, you know, breaking down my worldview and like pouring my heart out to like, you know, essentially complete strangers. <laughs> I did this in 2019 when I wanted to meet, a new person every day and I, I had like a pretty good streak going and then eventually I kind of fell off the fell off the wagon there but it, it was it was a lot of fun to just like dive into all these random conversations that I normally wouldn't have in day-to-day life yeah so it's funny yeah. how like those little like just little challenges kind of do that for you like mm-hmm. I did a, a similar thing where I was like all right I'm gonna learn the name of every single person that works at the gym that I go to. Oh, I love that. So I like just from going through there, it's uh, just the act of learning people's names and being able to walk in and say, hi, Jason is like a really, really cool thing. Cause it, it makes you feel a little bit more like a community when you go yeah. to certain places. Um, and I think that's one of the magical places, not all magical things about not only when you're in a community in the real world, but also when you are in communities on like Twitter, I can go, hi, C. Hi. <laughs> hi. Yeah. Even though, well, C is just my first initial, but I don't like my full name anyway. And I, I like, I like C actually. You know what's funny? Um, I, mm-hmm. um, so Remy is also not my first, like my legal first name. Oh. So I'm actually totally resonate with that kind of sentiment. Yeah. I, do you like your legal first name? Or, like, why do you go by Remy? I think... I have a feeling you probably have something similar to this. It's like, there's two things that happen with names. You get the name that you were given legally, right? Mm-hmm. And then as you go through life, you kind of collect these other names that re- various people call you. Yes. And at some point, there comes times when people call you a name that resonates with an idea of yourself that you actually like more than the self that you think of when you think of your full first legal name. Yes. Yes. Um, so for me, it's, I mean, so I'm, I'm Chinese American. Um, the name that I was given at birth was uh, one that my parents just picked. They were like, oh, I guess this meaning like sounds like fine and the syllables are like easy to pronounce and it's an Americanized name that other people can pronounce and it'll help, you know, our, our daughter assimilate. But, you know, growing up and growing up, I didn't attach like, you know, any sort of particular um, meaning to my name. I was just like, okay, this is how I interface with the world. But then as I got older, um, it wasn't that people were giving me a bunch of nicknames, but it was just that 
as I like kind of developed my personality and realized that I absolutely love to like change and to see like all the different ways in which I could grow and to kind of like cast aside any old versions of myself, I I felt really stuck, very trapped by like a name that was given to me at birth, but that I had no control over. And now as a legal legal adult, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I have control over that. Like, I mean, it's it's one of the more like annoying things to change about your life because it's like kind of how you interface with the rest of society. But it's, I don't know, I, I, I finally worked up the courage to like start telling people like, hey, like, yeah, the, the name that's, you know, on my, uh, on this like official government form, like, you know, maybe don't use that. Like I, I can try like being different. Um, versions of myself online I could try being different versions of myself to different friend groups and like changing up the name is like a helpful reminder of that um yeah yeah I think the other thing is um it there's also this interesting thing when people from a different period in your life know you by a different name yeah and then you see them like eight years later like this is happening to me now where because I ended up going back to my mother's house because of the whole COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, I meet a lot of people that I knew in like high school that I haven't talked to in six years. Mm -hmm. And they'll still call, they'll be like, hey, Julian. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And I like, I legitimately will not respond for like, they'll say it a couple of times and I legitimately just like won't respond. Mm -hmm. And then I register as like, oh yeah, that's still a thing that uh, people Mm -hmm. remember me by. Yeah. I mean, how have they reacted to, you know, your new choice of name? I think it's... I, th- I always think it's uh, like 50-50. It's like, oh, okay. All right, we'll just call you that now. And then mm. also... Because I have some people that... I worked with through the transition that are also from my hometown that I was like, as I used it more, they were like, Oh yeah, we already kind of called you that. So it's not that hard. (laughs) And then people that knew me from like middle school when that was like the only legal name that I went by. And that's Mm -hmm. always, that's always fun. Cause it's like, Hey, and then they still, because they already have the memory ingrained, it takes time for that memory to get rewritten and such. Yeah. Have you encountered any sort of judgment from others? No. I I think the biggest thing with me was, um, so for example, my name sounds better in Spanish than it does Mm -hmm. in English. Because in English, I think a a big thing with names is like, when names are one or two syllables is when they really stick the most. Yeah. And they just sound better. And It rolls right off the tongue, yep. For example, my actual name is Julian, and in English, that's three syllables. It's not that great of a name. Like, I just... It doesn't sound, feel nice to say in general. Mm-hmm. That may just be a personal opinion, but yeah. I, but in, I, I feel the same about my name. <laughs> yeah, but in in Spanish, it's Julian, which is way nicer. So people in on like my Puerto Rican and Dominican family will say Julian, and like that sounds good, and it feels good to say. Also, he's laughing because he goes to, probably goes to the same thing with the J and his name, right? It's these weird things that happen across languages and how we represent uh, culture in language and also how that goes into names. Cause it's like, when you say McDonald's, 
McDonald's is meant to be said as McDonald's. There is no yes. like other language of saying McDonald's. It's just, it'll just sound weird. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, you know, technically in like all the other languages, they have their own pronunciation of McDonald's. Like in Chinese, McDonald's is Maidong Lao. Um, and actually a lot of, um, specifically for the Chinese market, like these brands pour in so much money to finding like just the right translation that will both mean something, you know, like positive in Chinese and rolls off the tongue and sounds close enough to the original um, name from, from another language. But yeah, I do wonder if for the both of us, because, you know, it, it sounds like we're both bilingual and our names are kind of stemming, either stemming from another language or given to us by, you know, people who weren't native English speakers, maybe like, maybe there's something there around like our relationship with our names and, and the language of our parents. I think it also comes with a, like our parents only built an identity so far within the culture that we're living in now. So it's like, mm. I think for me, sometimes it's like this made sense to pick this name in the culture that you were that you picked my name for and to navigate right and then just mm -hmm. as a, you navigate different cultures and you want to represent yourself in a different way than maybe your parents did that's when you go oh maybe this isn't the name and i'm sure that falls yeah. into a lot of camps with a lot of artists it's like i want to like my mother knows me as this name but mm -hmm. i want the world to know me as this because I want to represent myself differently when I'm with other people than yeah. when I'm with like my close family. I feel like that goes yeah. into another thing that we've actually talked about before, which is like alts on Twitter, <laughs> right? <It's> like <laughs> giving space yeah. for the different aspects of character. Yes, exactly. Um, I, I don't remember if I've mentioned this before. I, uh, on the topic of, you know, names and the, way we want to present ourselves and our work to the world. Um, you know, I also have a lot of like creative personal pursuits. So that's whether that's like art or, and, you know, dipping my toes into music. And I haven't made anything like original. I just am exploring like being creative in, you know, a sonic dimension. Uh, and also writing. I, I love writing. I always want to write more. Um, but with writing, one part where I always get stuck is before I share something with other people, before I publish something online, I'm, I feel restrained again by my name, by my, by this, like, again, just this reminder that like, oh, hey, okay, here I am talking about something, you know, that I don't usually write about, or that I don't usually talk about with anyone in my life something super super personal and then like it's gonna be the same name that like my coworkers always has <laughs> hi coworkers who are listening in right now um but it i've thought about like adopting a pseudonym for my writing just so they can unblock me there and yeah i've been thinking about like using my chinese name for um for publishing my writing just something that is still still feels like me but just a very different side of me I feel like there's so many questions I have off of just the last few sentences. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, go for it. I, I like think I the said, first I, one is going to be... Open book. So you're a designer at Twitter. 
Were you an mm-hmm. artist before you were a designer? No, I actually uh, studied computer science. I come from an engineering background. I, all, I was an artsy kid in high school, but, you know, uh, stereotypical, like, Asian parents are like, oh, my God, you should, like, not pursue, like, a creative career path because that's, like, not very stable. It's very unpredictable. Like, we just want you to have, like, a very, like you yeah. know, <laughs> stable <laughs> path in life. So, uh, you know, I, um, when I went to college, I was interested in pursuing something like a bit more practical, like, oh, like neuroscience or, um, or architecture, which you know, both actually kind of have overlapped with product design. Uh, now, like now looking back, you know, I was interested in how people, how people's like minds worked. And I was also interested in, kind of how the design of our environments shape our daily lives. Um, but then, you know, freshman year, I'm like looking at the career fair booklet where they have <laughs> all the companies who are hiring for the different majors and they list them out by major. And there was one company hiring for architecture <laughs> and then for computer science. There were like 20 pages of companies yeah. hiring for computer science. I was like, okay, you know, stable job. I guess that's where all the jobs are. I like coding. I like making things. So I'm going to pursue that. And yeah, so I studied computer science and like, man, I realized <laughs> through like various internships and actual classes that like, I, I like making things and seeing how people respond to them. But I really like the actual act of coding I was I was simultaneously like not very good at it and also not very patient <laughs> with it. <laughs> and so I um I realized around like the time I was going to graduate like oh hey actually the stuff that I would really want to do is probably closer to this this designer role that I hear about um this is like kind of around when design was just becoming a bit more of a formal role in the tech industry um I was like man I I don't think I could become a designer without going to design school. Like how, how do I, how do I bridge that gap? How do I actually like make that leap? Um, So I I managed to just, when I broke into the design industry, it was just through like a a mix of like pure luck. (laughs) And I actually got my first design job through Twitter, the product. Uh, I have like a long time Twitter user and the person who would later become my boss, he had he was tweeting at the time. I'd, I'd been following him. He was tweeting like, hey, I'm like starting to hire folks in in San Francisco for like this new company that I'm starting. Anyone want to join? And I was looking for a job at the time. I was like, hey, pick me. Um, and, and when I met him, you know, we got along great. And he was like, well, I've never hired anyone before. <laughs> so do you want to just work together for a bit and see how it goes? I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I, I do better in like lower pressure environments like that, like uh, a more like slow burn <laughs> when it comes to job interviews than like a full day on site where you have to like be on your best, uh, you know, show like this super polished kind of fake version of yourself. So yeah, yeah that's how I like broke into the design industry. I, um, and you know, I, from there, like I, I got my first job as a designer and then, you know, the rest is history, blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, I came from a kind of a, a different a different place than a lot of designers uh, did. 
this is this question is going to stem from my personal experience. So I'm just going to add that disclaimer in there right now. Do you feel like when you chose to go into like a more uh, traditional or a more professional major into school mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you self-censored a bit? Mm. Because of yeah. like the conditioning of like you need to get a thing that pays you. Yeah, I mean, oh man, picking a major in college was, first of all, like, my college actually was very technical. They didn't really offer a lot of, like, non-technical majors. Um, it wasn't even, like, my, <laughs> it, it was more of, like, my um, parents' preference that I attend that college, uh, you know, again, for this whole stability thing. And I had already kind of suppressed some of my, you know, hopes and dreams going there. And then once I actually was choosing a major, um, it was it was partly like, partly the stability thing, and partly almost like peer pressure. Wait, so yeah. you chose the school before you chose the major? Yeah, okay. yeah. So like once you, um, it, it was just the way the college application process worked. It was like, oh, first you you know you apply to a bunch of schools, you just see which schools you get into, and then once you actually get there, like you know maybe by your sophomore year, you have to pick a major. Oh, that's um, so different from at least what I experienced because my experience oh, was like I you see. needed to pick a major and then pick you, you needed to do the opposite way oh was it like through um any sort of formal structured process or it was just that you know folks around you expected you I to think it was know the major first I think it was partially um I guess the how they communicated like this is how you pick a school is you pick a school mm. by picking your major and then seeing what schools are good at your major. And then oh, also, okay. you when we were doing, oh, what's it called? The Common App, I think is what it's called. Yeah, yeah. When you did the Common App, I remember you had to identify which major you were going to do at the school. Like, you couldn't... You, oh, And there were different yeah. applications for different programs. So you couldn't just apply to the school. You needed to apply to a specific major so they knew how to evaluate your uh, oh. application. Yeah, I totally forgot about that part. I think I actually did do that part, but I just made it all up. I was like, I don't really know what I want to do. Yes, you love like, to see uh, it. Neuroscience, I don't know. Who needs boxes? <laughs> exactly, right? I think that was one thing I always really struggled with in school is like, I, I don't know, the other folks who were in each major all seemed really, really into the stuff they were studying. And I was just like, I just want to do a little bit of everything. I don't know if there's a job that lets me do that. I don't know if there's a major that lets me do that. Like, I'm, you know, intellectually omnivorous. <laughs> I feel like our, like our experiences were, like, so similar yet so different because at my school, everybody seemed miserable in their major. Oh. And it was, it that was the thing for me was, like, I don't want to be miserable in my major. I ended up switching to music and technology, so that's partially why I'm unemployed right now. But <laughs> we'll, we'll skip off of that. Uh, but I went to an engineering school. So I originally got in for mechanical engineering, and then I was like, oh. oh, this ain't it. Because I was looking around at everybody else, and they were utterly miserable. Um, yeah. I actually almost did uh, co computer science. I almost did electrical engineering, but I couldn't stay awake in microproc. So that didn't last very long. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was another reason I didn't choose architecture. I was like, man, they spend a lot of hours in lab, at, in, in the studio. And it's like, the studio is really far away from my dorm. 
Oh my god! That, I, that wanna, a... I want a major that lets me do my my homework from my dorm. That was a real one. <laughs> Although I did like, I was one of those people who loved being in the studios and other rooms. Like I mm. loved it. Like in the music studio at school, like I would sleep there sometimes. But I remember specifically for microprocessors, like when you sit there and have a uh, hour lecture about ones and zeros. It yeah. is super hard to stay focused. Yeah. Also, I feel like a lot of college lectures are just delivered in the most inefficient yeah, format possible. Yeah, it's like most of the stuff that we would learn in the lectures, I learn in 15 minutes and then go to the lecture and then be like, I okay, so the next 45 minutes is kind of redundant. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I have a very strong conviction that like the way a lot of college classes are structured is just like fundamentally broken. Like the internet has shown us like yes. people can take in information in all sorts of different ways and yeah like formal education systems haven't caught up but it just exposes like how limited the existing like lecture format is but that lecture format is something that tailors to the like needs and limited time of the professors and the teaching staff it's not about actually trying yeah. to be an effective educator um i i also teach now on as like one of my like side creative pursuits so I spent a lot of time like thinking about this and also you know while I was, in college, I was very frustrated with, with the system in general so I, um, I I do a lot of reflecting nowadays like as a teacher on the on the other side thinking about like oh okay like what what didn't work for me in college and what what can I change about that I don't think I've been very effective but <laughs> at least it's like it's fun to think about. Would you agree with the statement that education five to ten years from now is going to look very different and may not be so heavily focused on higher education institutions? <sighs> five to ten years from now. I'm trying to think about where the world was five to ten years before and see if I could like kind of project like that trajectory <laughs> five to ten years <laughs> in the future. Uh, you know, the it, it's kind of like... A, yeah, it's like a linear projection right now, which is not necessarily accurate. Like this past, you know, year and a half, two years with COVID and everything has shown us that like change yeah. can happen all at once, right? Like my craziest um, uh, yeah. stat from that area was like uh, when Kai Yuryev, she's a writer at the information, she mm -hmm. released the, the database of the creator economy uh, startups that had been like the best deals and like the biggest deal in that database was in online education hmm. yeah i i'm always a little skeptical of like formal like online education startups or anything that like takes money <laughs> from the students because i think it's there's so much money to be made in selling education as like this like aspirational product um in you know a lot of in a lot of markets uh, you know in like you know the market that the non-us market that i'm most familiar with would be china and it's like absolutely a huge industry there um and an entire a culture that celebrates like you know self-betterment and education and you know you see the same in the u.s too like self-help being such a huge market but um yeah, I, I'm always skeptical of the startups that do it just because a lot of startups are just like kind of fake it till you make it situations. Um, but I think that like, you know, education 10 years ago versus education now seems very, very similar with the exception of like everyone switching to, you know, very frustrating Zoom school setups for the past year and a half. 
Um, I do think that longer term, like because of the way power structures and existing institutions have been kind of upended by the internet, like people are more open-minded to non-traditional paths of um, success. And like maybe the brand name of institutions, like other than the very, very top tier, the brand name of most institutions and the, the value of that brand name will fall pretty dramatically. Like, yeah. And then at the far other end, you know, people who just come through through like extremely like non-traditional means, like they go viral on YouTube and now they have like a very successful and stable career. Um, like we'll definitely see a rise in that. It's kind of like a, this sort of barbell curve situation that you see with a lot of internet um, yep. cause shifts, right? Like, you know, you see the same happening in media where like folks who, um, they're, they're, it just kind of like there's one like really big old school established brand at like one end of the spectrum and the other end of the spectrum it's a bunch of like individual upstarts that have been you know like empowered by technology and like have have access to a broad audience and they don't need to go through existing institutions anymore and in the middle all the like old institutions that were like maybe not like super um like they were just like mid-sized institutions or you know they're probably like collapsing or like you know need to dramatically change to adapt to this new world yeah i remember someone uh forget which article i was reading but um it was a newspaper that the headline was like uh estimate that 25 percent of higher education institutions will be closed in the next 10 years mm -hmm. yeah yeah i believe that um there's a lot of one is just like the the actual like funding issues, right? If it's a private school, um, you know, it's just student loans are getting so ridiculous. Yep. Uh, yes, they I are. I mean, they have been for a long time, but it's just it, 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 especially when the value of that degree is diminishing. Yeah. And <laughs> it continues to get more expensive. It just a lot of them will you know go out of business, and then I don't know what's happening on like the public um education side like you know publicly funded higher education i would imagine there's just like less funding going there and th they'd also be struggling with budget cuts uh yeah so circling back a little bit mm -hmm. how do you approach all because you mentioned you have like a lot of other initiatives that you like to work on tangential to the the twitter work that you do obviously mm -hmm. how do you approach well, picking up those mm -hmm. projects or like decided oh i think i'm gonna start writing now uh, <laughs> well the, you know the honest uh, uh the honest take on that is actually like i don't do any of that right now it's all very aspirational at various points in time i have like gotten interested in like maybe like one one side hobby at a time right um for a while i was like making neon lights and learning oh. how to bend neon. And that was super fun, but I haven't been back in the studio in like two years. Oh, that's gonna be super um, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. And it's actually, it's it's like, <laughs> the, the reason I got into neon was I, um, well, the reason it stuck with me for, for a, a brief period of time was that it was just so different from everything else that I do, which is more like intangible creative work, right? Neon yeah. is just like, you just have to like focus on making sure this tube of glass doesn't break. And it requires like total concentration because yeah. otherwise you're going to, you're going to break it. So it's, 
almost meditative in a way. And I didn't put the pressure on myself to create anything that like looked super cool uh, at first. So it was just more about like the physical aspect of bending the glass. And, um, and then, you know, at the, on the other side of it, like once you're done with bending the glass, you have like a cool looking lamp that you can put in your room. Uh, yeah, that was really fun. But then I started putting pressure on myself to be like, okay, now I have to like try to get really clever and do like a cool design. And then I think that's when I fell off. Like when I put pressure on myself on all these like creative projects, that's when I start dreading it a little and, and it starts to feel like work. Um, so now I'm just trying to like listen to my heart <laughs> and only, you know, do, th do things badly for fun. It's interesting because I, I have noticed that too. It's like you can only have so many things that you actually put that pressure on. Yeah. And you have to have the things that take the pressure off. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, I used to be like, Re a really intense perfectionist used to be super super hard on myself oh. it was a miserable way to live um i mean i'm no longer that way i'm just i'm just like whatever i'll go with the flow um but it took a long time to to get here took a lot of this picture yeah. frame being slightly crooked is okay putting this out <laughs> yes. with the typos okay <laughs> exactly yeah a um i mean it, it definitely Designers have a reputation uh, <laughs> amongst like other folks in the tech industry for just being like super, super like detail oriented to the point of, yeah. you know, in an uncharitable uh, depiction to the point of being like really annoying. Like, oh my God, is it lens pixel off? It's like those like really pedantic people about like grammar being like, no, you shouldn't enter sentence with a preposition, like that sort of vibe. Oh my right? God. I but kind of, I, does, and it, I used to does this like sound that. similar? It's like when you're designing on Canva and you're like one thing is 10 pixels apart from the next thing and the one right below it is 11. You're like, no, it needs to be 10. Like every yeah, single... Yeah. And then you double check every single one in the column to make sure it's 10. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, I to some extent, it's like, okay, yeah, like I understand why that is like helpful for making like a very cohesive looking like put together image. It's very polished. But also like I think... Um, I used to take it too far. You know, I used to kind of, you know, frankly, bully people with attention to detail and just be like, oh, no, like, this is like just a little bit of you have a typo here, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't about making a better end product. It was actually kind of wielding this extremely strict standard in order to make other people feel bad and to make me feel good, which is not... <laughs> healthy dynamic i feel like uh, other part of that yeah. is you see this in a lot of people it's like having the thing perfect is part of the self-definition de it's like yeah no i do exactly. things at high quality so this must be the highest quality or else i with this cannot go out yes exactly and people you know it, it's very natural as a creative person to just kind of want your work to be an extension of yourself or a representation of yourself or to be the best of yourself um uh, one of the one of the attitudes that I've worked really hard to let go of is, you know, I used to think that like, oh, nobody could love me as a person. So, but they could love what I did. So I would just really hope that like, I would put all my work into making what I made perfect so that other people would love that. And by proxy, I would feel some of that love. 
uh, which, again, very toxic <laughs> mindset to go out your work with. But um, but I don't I, think you're the only one that goes through that. Like I, everyone goes through this. Yeah, everyone who cares about their work. Yeah, and I think um, there's also extent, like a specific yeah. subset of people that go through it way more. I feel like artists go through it way more, and people yeah. who are part. Of, for example, I used to do uh, band stuff where I would be going on tour with a different group of people every summer so i was never with the same group of people and the people that i was spending time with we were spending literally from 7 a.m to 11 p.m every single day for three months Mm -hmm. so it's like deep connections only like in the context of a thing that you're doing and when that thing is done the connections just disappear low-key so it's like your condition is like the thing that i'm doing matters more than me being there yeah yeah that focus on the like output at the expense of the journey you took to get there or the other people along the way um i think in the most extreme version of that is just like this more kind of like output focused mindset than like a relationship focused mindset and yeah to your point about like you know artists struggling with this i mean art is a fundamentally selfish endeavor in a way that you know for example design is technically supposed to be like less selfish yeah you're there is a one doing one something in two. service yeah you're supposed to be doing something in service of something else whereas art artistry is about personal expression and wanting to bring like your own vision into the world or wanting to have a certain effect on other people um yeah do you think that w- working in public or designing in public for things like Twitter Spaces have helped that getting out of the perfectionist? Mm, well, I thought this was a try not to talk about social audio. <laughs> but no, 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I think that actually I came to Twitter with this mindset of like, um, this is how I want to work. I want to like be working like closely with the community and be designing the service of that. It was actually the job that I had before Twitter that kind of shook that sense of ego out of me. So I worked in political tech in, Ooh. you know, for the 2020 election and there there's like absolutely no room <laughs> for, for ego when you're like trying to win an election it's not about like oh do I have the shiniest designs it's about like yo does this ultimately like get voters um and it's it's also like an absolutely wild environment to like try to do product development in which is like a separate separate thing it's like you know, there's a hard deadline and every single you know minute that you waste is one less minute to like build uh, the actual like product in time for like this um, specifically in political then it was like very very high pressure yeah very high pressure and also like it you know just the the fact that i had made a certain thing that like absolutely did not matter it was just entirely about like trying to serve a high level mission and goal and it was, it was a very, very hard adjustment for me because I was coming in from this like extremely perfectionist, like I mentioned, this um, extremely perfectionist, egotistical mindset. And, and then I was like, oh, wait, 
I have to turn myself inside out and upside down in order to actually be effective in this new uh, role. And, and so that's, um, that's kind of like how it took out. And then after, after having gone through that experience, I'm like, okay, like now my values are completely different now. It's entirely about serving others and serving this higher level goal and casting aside this sense of like what I create as being tied to, as being a reflection of my self-worth. I'm trying to, you know, I, I had already cast that aside. Um, and so that's the, um, the attitude that I already kind of like brought in to, um, to working at Twitter. Yeah. So right now, mm-hmm. what do you, what would you say is at the core of the self-definition that replaced the perfectionist C? I think I've fully attached my self-definition to the fact that I love to change myself. I, um, well, I think before I used to, my self-definition was more about like, oh, really loving creating um, and really caring about the the stuff I created. And now my self-definition is like, yo, I'm just a human (laughs) existing along with a bunch of other humans for a very short period of time. Um, How do you, like what am I what what am I capable of? What is possible? I like fully believe like after having changed so much over the course of my life so far that like I could do anything if I really put my mind to it um and if I really, really tried uh, and so not only like can i it's not about it's not a sense of like superiority like oh like yeah i'm I'm better than everyone I could do anything no, it's more just like extreme curiosity, but like oh yeah, like. I haven't ever danced before and yeah, I'm going to suck at it. But like, what would it be like on the other side, having learned how to dance and like being able to control like my body and like embody this, like, you know, meat suit better. <laughs> what, what is that experience like? What would it be like to live as someone who like knows who is like more coordinated? I, I think that sort of um, like, curiosity about how I can change is is really at the core of my being now yeah I've always found it interesting the um the adventure of exploring how how great your ideal self could be yeah I mean ideal is is maybe a limiting word um yeah because that kind of like paints a sort of it's a very it seems like a very fixed picture like oh there is one ideal way to be um whereas like i think i'm more just like oh what what would it what would it be like if if i changed myself this way or that way yeah um there was there's one uh blog post by oh i hate to call it paul graham had this blog post i'm not like a hologram shill but there um, the blog post is titled like keep your identity small and it that like phrase like has really resonated with me he basically outlines in that essay that like you know the more labels you attach to yourself the more it kind of like fixes you into a perception of yourself and the more you might fall into certain traps like for example with politics if, if you attach a certain um, party label to yourself then you might like lose sight uh, you, you might like close yourself off your, your tribal identities form all that stuff I think that like more generalizably like you know attaching certain labels to my identity might restrict my growth 
um, it, you know, it, it can be really helpful in like giving me an avenue for like, new ways to grow. Like if I started calling myself a dancer, then I might feel yeah. more comfortable dancing. Um, but I think it's, it's a good habit to, or at least I'm trying to adopt the habit of not like, calling myself uh, much of anything. Yeah. I think this does circle back to the conversation we were having about names before. Yes. And yes. Like the fact it's like, how does the, the self definition evolve? Cause specifically I, especially over the last couple of years of trying to form, I guess the person that is Remy because I'm mm-hmm. still so young and have no idea what that means <laughs> is uh, I ran into the ideology is like, you can form your self-definition by doing the thing, right? For example, a musician is somebody who plays music. So if you play music every day, mm-hmm. then you, even if on day one, you may not be comfortable calling yourself by a musician, by day 20, you can be like, yeah, I'm a musician. I play my guitar every day. Um, and I do think there is a lot of stock in making like what you said about keep your identity small of Mm -hmm. finding what's at the core, because I think a lot of times, and I feel like I did this where sometimes you mistake the vehicle, the passion for the vehicle for the emotion with your love for the emotion. Yes. So for me, that was like, I loved connecting with people, but Mm -hmm. for like 20 years of my life, the only way I knew how to do that was through music. And now yeah. that I've removed that extra layer of the definition to of connecting with people, now the ways of connecting with people are so much more. But that's exactly. still a common definition that you can carry on through pretty much anything. Yeah, exactly. I, I love that. I think the um, while while you were saying uh, about like changing up names, changing up like how other people interface with us. One, th- one idea I had last year that I was like really wanted to kind of prototype out was like, what if I had to change my profile picture on social media every single day? What if like every time I opened up Twitter first, like it asked, at first it just took a photo of me. <laughs> that was my profile picture for the day. It wasn't about personal branding. It was more about like not having a fixed representation of myself. Um, I realized that like, you know, my old, uh, profile pictures, my old tweets, my old bio, they were all kind of holding me back in the same way that like having a fixed name throughout all my life was kind of holding me back. Um, Or not holding me back, just like kind of keeping me too locked into like an older version of myself. Um, Yeah. Anyway, that was a bit of a, a, a little tangent. I think overall, like continually like re-examining like the things I like to do and digging in really deep into like why I like to do it and deconstructing that and then like trying like and kind of atomizing all the different components of like okay I like you know making design because I enjoy the creative process because I like seeing other people react to my work because I enjoy like visual you know aesthetics like and then like kind of taking each of those atoms and seeing all the other ways like all the other molecules that can form <laughs> from those atoms yeah you know that's such a powerful avenue for exploring all the different selves that i could be 100 i think yeah. for me two of those have been like i like connecting with people and i like being active so it's been like 
mm. trying to fit the activity. Because, for example, like it's really easy to connect with people through hopping on Twitter spaces all the time. But if I do that too much at a desk, then it can get really limiting. Yes. Right. And all of a sudden, then I start uh, feeling sedentary, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Uh, so, but the second I started that. doing things like going on a walk while mm-hmm. talking on Twitter spaces or doing separate things, it's like the the harmony that that was between the things that both my body and mind like to do just like exponentially got better. Yeah. Yeah. Are you on a walk right now? No, no. Now I'm just at a standing <laughs> desk. So <laughs> Yeah, I'm also just sitting at my desk. Um but you know, it's kinda of trippy if you think about it. like, you know, you could be on a walk, I could be sitting at my desk. We both have this shared interface of like talking to each other, but having very different experiences um yeah. outside of that. It's kind of like a build your own reality kind of thing like what if you're taking a, a walk in like a really beautiful place and so your memory of this conversation is like wow it's a great conversation in a beautiful place but i was meanwhile like sitting next to a dumpster having a terrible time like yeah and then i would just be like oh my god no like never want to do that again. no i'm having a great time by the way though that was just an extreme example but like <laughs> everyone i don't know it's just there's this isn't about social audio. This is more just like the fact that technology makes it possible for people to have just extremely different versions of reality. Yeah. And that's, it's scary in that like society doesn't know how to prepare for it. And also like, I don't know. Um, that is one of the craziest <laughs> things for me. Too. Yeah. It's like when I'm sure there are plenty of great use cases, but when you, for example, these discussions about like the metaverse, mm-hmm. right. And mm-hmm. the effects of setting up, a metaverse that is where people like go to work and go to talk and go to like they work out their avatar in the metaverse they Mm -hmm. talk to their kids in the metaverse they manage their house mortgage in the metaverse (laughs) right yeah why are you trying to replicate the like shitty parts of existence right now in just a digital format i don't know the the craziest thing is like those things are being able to do things in in a compressed Mm -hmm. environment makes it that much more rewarding for example Mm. a really simple example is runescape right Mm-hmm. runescape way back in the day i'm sure there's way better examples for all of the younger people here but my thing was runescape when i was like 10 years old so in runescape you, you had in order to build anything in order to get new armor you needed to go mine so then spending hours mining like copper and iron to get new steel stuff was tedious and annoying but the the time between starting to mine and getting the new thing was less than if you, for example, started working out and then you could do like 20 more pull-ups, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. or you start drawing and then you can draw something really fantastic. The time was just Mm. compressed to reward. Mm, Yeah, shortening that feedback loop. That's a classic, like, sort of, I don't want to say hack, but it's how a lot of digital products yeah. work. <laughs> and then at the same <laughs> yeah. time, it's like when you can save the marshmallow till later, referencing the yes. old marshmallow test, mm-hmm. you can actually achieve greater things that can make a big impact. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right now, are you leaning more towards the 
kind of short feedback loop world or like is there a um like what is your marshmallow test for me now yeah. it is um this is something i think about all the time it's like you're either putting time into your narrative or somebody else's oh. and for me it's trying to make as much of the time in my day dedicated to putting effort into my narrative versus somebody else's. Mm. For example, uh, things that put things into other people's narratives are, are like TV, right? You're watching somebody else's narrative. Mm-hmm. Working at a retail store is you're mostly working into somebody else's narrative. Right. Yeah, just just a cog in the machine. Yeah, and then there's that age-old, like, create more than you consume kind of thing. Um, And I think there's a balance. Like, I still watch One Piece every day. Hell yeah. Hashtag, (laughs) shout out to One Piece Day yesterday. (laughs) But uh, I've leaned into making more and more of my day dedicated to actually building myself. For example, going to bed at 10 p.m. to wake up early so I can actually go to the gym and going to the gym every single day. Like, that's something that I didn't have for a few years that I lost that. And then I found it in the pandemic because we had plenty of time. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, this is, in order to be a better version of myself, this is something that I need to do. Just period. Mm -hmm. I need to be healthy so I don't have to worry about injuring my back, which I did three times again. Right. And it's like, it, sometimes there are things like an injury that'll snap you into, oh, this is a thing that you were neglecting that is actually needed in order to make yourself healthy. And then sometimes it's just like, all right, I feel like I watched too many TikToks today. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And for me, it's been a lot of finding ways to limit those things. For example, TikTok is one of those things that I rarely ever use because I'm like, that's a thing that I will get lost in. It is yeah. way too easy to go down a TikTok wormhole. Um, so I basically just don't use TikTok. That's just because I know I have an. I'm very brave of you. <laughs> I, I, I do not have that sort of self control. <laughs> it's, I think it's, for me, it's wild because people say, oh, you have so much self control. It's like, no, I do that specifically because I do not have self control. Yeah. I, which is I've the definitely... weird paradox. Yeah, I, I held off on like doing uh, joining TikTok for the longest time, uh, in part because I was like, okay, I know I'm gonna get sucked into it, and then the pa- the pandemic finally broke me. Yeah. Um, now, actually, you know, working on Twitter, I just look at Twitter all day, which is its own its own form of addiction. Um, and <laughs> I'm trying to use my it's like I'm pitting my vices against each other. Uh, I'm trying to use TikTok to break my Twitter addiction. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because like yeah. you try to. In order to break these th- these addictions to things that we think have gotten too far, we just mm-hmm. feed in other addictions, right? Yeah. So instead of being addicted to, like, cinnamon rolls, you get yourself addicted to, like, raw chicken, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, not raw chicken, but, like, just basic I don't know if raw chicken is particularly addicting. <laughs> but, like, no, because... All right, so something I've done in the pandemic is I've simplified my diet, like, hella. So I have the same omelet. I've had the same omelet every single day for almost a year now. Oh, wow. That, that, that is the dedication. <laughs> but the thing is, like, after a few months of that, you start going, I need my omelet. I like I miss my oh. omelet. And, like it doesn't like it's 
other things that aren't it's the comforting. omelet don't taste as good. And then when you start your day with something that's not the omelet, it feels weird. Huh. That's really interesting. I think that, like, that might be one of those, like, fundamental, um, I don't know, differences in perception. I feel like some people, like, for me, I would just get tired of the omelet after, like, a week. I'm like, no, I can't do this anymore. And then I'd probably get, like, omelet PTSD. It's like, next time, like, you know, five years later, I eat an omelet. I'm like, no. It's funny because I run into other people that do that, too. And it's, for me, it's it comes down to like, there are things that I've removed the thought from. Like, for example, what to cook for breakfast, I make the same omelet every day. It's just removed the thought. It's that is part of the, the, the prompt that gets started when we wake up in the morning. Right. And then it's also yeah, like wearing like the same thing every day, kind of uniformish, where it's like, all right, I put on the same shorts that I wear on every every single day that are like the shorts that i used to do pretty much everything to work out to yada yada and that like putting on the shorts immediately starts to make you feel comfortable yeah it's it's a weird thing to bring it back full circle it is like one of those things like our names like our profile pictures that kind of keeps us in this like existing form of ourselves and very unfortunately, it's eleven fifty nine. i have therapy at noon (laughs) 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 so i gotta jump no, it's been absolutely fantastic. Well, this is I'm passed so quickly. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for having this up. Yeah. See, is there anything that you want to leave the audience with? Oh man, I mean, you know, give feedback on Twitter Spaces. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, this is so much fun. If anyone has any like thoughts, reactions, anything we talked about, I'd love to hear it. Um, you know, let's keep the conversation going. And yeah, thanks again, Remy. This is great. Uh, Few little housekeeping things. One, this is going to be one of the first recordings to actually get put up on a feed, and that will be up by Monday. So, so you're going to be one of the first ones actually distributed on like the Spotify's. So that'd be. Oh my God! Um, I have made it big time. I will also be putting Spotify. the, The the other ones that we have recorded before now. So look for that on Monday. I will be doing that over the weekend. Also, if anybody else in here would like to have a chat like this with me, DM me. We'll set it up. We've I already have a couple people in here that we've done it. Obviously, see, there's Andrew as well, and there's a couple other people that I've had some fantastic conversations with, and I would love to have more. I do these specifically because I like being the curious person in the room and like seeing where these conversations lead, because I feel like they always end up leading somewhere interesting. Yeah, I like doing this because I like talking about myself. Uh, yeah yeah. and then uh that's it so only other thing is i hold the morning show every monday through thursday at 8 a.m so pop up to that if you just want to have so uh the recording cut off right at the end and i was just gonna say that if you're interested in joining these conversations i host the morning show from monday to thursday at 8 a.m eastern time with a couple other great folks on twitter spaces and there will definitely be more of these deep talks coming soon and if by any chance you happen to be interested, you can DM me at RemyHDZ underscore to uh, get yourself in on a deep talk. And if you're interested in following C at work, you can just do at C underscore at underscore work on Twitter. All right, y'all. Have a great rest of your day. and Thanks for tuning in. Peace.